Today I'm continuing a teaching that I've been doing entitled Effortless Change. And I tell you, I think that this is a powerful teaching. I believe it's helped a lot of people. Uh, I'm having to jump right into the middle of this teaching, talking about the parable that Jesus gave in Mark chapter 4 about the sower sowing the seed. I believe that this teaching is one of the most foundational things. As Jesus said in Mark chapter 4, verse 13, if you don't understand this parable, you can't understand any of the parables. This is a key that unlocks revelation, just foundational truths that you'll use every day for the rest of your Christian life. It just is that important. Now, we've been talking about that Jesus was using the illustration of a man sowing seed and it fell on four different types of ground. Likewise, the kingdom of God is like that. The Word of God is the seed that has to be planted in our life. And the Word of God is what brings change. It's what brings fruit in our life. The Word of God is never the variable. It has the same potential in every single person's life. But the thing that made the Word or this seed produce differently wasn't the seed itself, but rather it was the type of soil that it found itself in. And this parable is illustrating four different types of hearts. The Word of God has the same potential in every person's life to produce, but the difference is we all respond to the Word differently. There's only one type of response that's really going to allow it to have its fruit, and that's what this parable is talking about. So the second type of person who heard the word, it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 16, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And I've already shared some of the truths out of this Uh, again, you need to get this whole teaching because I believe this is just vitally important. But let me just jump right in here and say that when the Lord showed this passage of Scripture to me and this really began to start having a major impact in my life, I was in a position where I was still in a denominational church that was against everything that I was believing for. They would acknowledge that there was such a thing as the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues, but they said that it's not really valid, it's not for us, it's the least of all the gifts. They didn't really emphasize healing and they certainly didn't emphasize righteousness and grace. So I was in a situation where I was constantly having the word that I was hearing through people and there was a number of people. This this one guy, uh, Joe Nay, was a very big impact in my life and Joe at one time had actually been like an associate minister with Kenneth Copeland and traveled with Kenneth Copeland for a while. And I used to go over to Kenneth Copeland's meetings in Fort Worth when he would rent the Will Rogers Auditorium and that thing could seat up to 3,500 people and he'd have 200 people sitting down front. And um, he was just confessing and saying, Thank you, Father, that this place is full. And I mean, I was so green, so lack of understanding in the Word of God that I didn't even understand he was trying to make a confession and speak his faith forth about that place being full. I just thought maybe he knew something that I didn't know, that maybe buses were on the way or something. I mean, I didn't know. But I would go over there. I would hear Kenneth Copeland speak the Word of God about righteousness. It would get me so fired up. I'd go back to this little denominational church and I'd go to preaching these things that I had heard and it was causing no small stir. 
People were getting healed, delivered, set free. Good things were happening, but the leadership of the church was uh, against what I was doing, thought that it was inaccurate, and because of it, they would criticize me. And notice, this is exactly what this says. They have no root in themselves and so endure for a time. Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. It says that this this is describing people who were excited about the Word. When they heard it, they got excited and would act on it to a degree. But they didn't have root in themselves. And when affliction and persecution, criticism against the Word began to come, they became offended. Did you know the word offended here doesn't mean that they quit believing? It doesn't mean that they renounced what they did. Like in my situation, I didn't renounce that God still healed today and that the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and miracles were of God. I didn't renounce those things. I still believed them. But when it says they became offended, what that means is that they just lost their enthusiasm, their excitement about it. They had, they were cooled off because of the criticism that they were getting. I think that that's important for you to recognize that Satan doesn't have to make you totally disavow the things that you believe for. Just get you to where you're cautious. Just get you to where you're afraid to speak things. You've been hurt. You've been offended. You're cautious now. You aren't enthusiastic the way you used to be. If he can get you into that mode, he can stop the Word of God from working in your life. And see, this is exactly where I was when the Lord showed this to me. I was in a situation, I'd go over here and hear Kenneth Copeland, I'd get excited, come back and go to preaching the righteousness of God and faith and grace and things like this. And I'd go back into that church and for a week or two, it'd be really powerful. And then I'd get so much criticism, I'd become introspective and I'd wind up still believing the same things and still trying to say it and teach it in the classes that I was teaching, but it just wasn't getting any results. It was like there wasn't any fruit coming out of it. And this happened on a cycle. It was so often that, I mean, I'd go over and hear Kenneth Copeland, and for a week or two I'd be okay, and then I'd get to where I was trying to say and do the same things, but I just wasn't getting results. And I'd have to go back and get my next Kenneth Copeland fix. And I remember this happened on a constant basis, so much so that when I began to start seeing me run out of steam and I knew that the next time I got up, it just wasn't going to be powerful the way it was, I kind of got to where I expected it. I didn't understand why it was happening, but I saw it happen so many times. And then I was studying this verse of Scripture and the Lord spoke to me and He says, the problem is the things you're saying aren't your revelation. They're Kenneth Copeland's revelation. You're saying things that you heard somebody else say. And you know, prior to that time, when I'd get up and teach, I'd say, well, I heard this man, Kenneth Copeland. I'd quote him and I'd talk about what he said. I'd use his examples, things like this. And people were being blessed by it because I was sharing truth. But it just wasn't my truth. And when the Lord showed this to me, it's like a light went on on the inside of me. And I said, this is why I'm not able to maintain and keep this equilibrium. It's why I'm up and down. Sometimes I'm excited about the Word and other times I'm wondering what's going on. It was because I didn't have root in myself. I was living off of another person's revelation and I believe it was a good revelation, but it wasn't mine. And I remember the Lord showing this to Jamie and me and uh, it's a long story, but I remember the very night, it was a Saturday night that He showed this to us. We talked about it, discussed it, and we said, that's it. From now on, 
I'm not going to say so-and-so said and quote somebody else and tell people about what their revelation is. As a matter of fact, many of you who watch this program or listen by radio, this may be the first time you've ever heard me say these things, and I'm just talking about Kenneth Copeland in, in a sense of a testimony. But I totally got away from quoting what somebody else had to say, and it started being God's Word to me. I made a decision that I was going to stand, and it didn't matter who came against the revelation that God had been speaking to me. I was going to keep that word in my heart. I was going to get it rooted and grounded on the inside of me. But you know, this really ministered to me when I saw that the afflictions and persecutions come for the word's sake. They don't come because of you or me personally, but rather it's the Word. When you start speaking the Word of God, the Word of God has power in it. God uses His Word to bring conviction unto people. And it starts pressuring people and starts motivating people to change. And if the person isn't wanting to change, well then they have to do something with this conviction that they're feeling coming from you. Now they may not be able to mentally separate this and understand it, But what is really happening is they may think that it's you they're upset with and they're criticizing you, but what they're really doing is criticizing God's Word that's coming through you. It's because of the Word's sake that affliction and persecution comes. People are actually trying to resist. They're criticizing you, trying to nullify this Word that you've spoken that's brought conviction into their life. The Word of God will either bring a revival or a riot Every time, if it's spoken in truth. That's what Jesus did, and that's what the early apostles did. Not everybody responded well to Jesus. His disciples came to him and says, Lord, don't you know that you offended these people? And he says, let them alone. He says, if they're of God, they'll get over it. If they aren't of God, he says, they'll be uprooted. Every tree that my father hasn't planted will be uprooted. And he didn't take things personally. Jesus caused a revival or a riot. His disciples did the same thing when they went out and ministered. It's naive and it's incorrect for us to think that if we just walk in love that everybody's going to love us. Jesus said, if they've persecuted me, they'll persecute you. You need to recognize that when you make a stand for the Word and when you start standing on the Word, I mean without compromise, and you start saying, this is what the Word of God says, this is what I'm believing and I don't care if it goes against our tradition, against the way people have done things. This is what the Word of God says. When you start taking that kind of a stand, I guarantee you the Word of God starts releasing power and pressure on people. And they will either repent and they'll love you because of it, or they'll come out and they'll criticize you because of it. And when I saw that, it made a huge difference in my life. It changed my expectation. And when I began to get criticism and stuff, it made me just continue going on recognizing that that's what the Word of God will do. The Word of God will divide. It'll separate people. You know, I had this friend of mine, Joe Nay. He's the guy that kind of got me started in the ministry. Very powerful influence in my life. And I remember that I went to one of Joe's meetings in a hotel. He called me out, out of all of those people that were in that room, and he gave me a prophecy. And in this prophecy... He said, I see you like a runner on a track. And he said, you're running around this track. And he said, you're leading the pack. He says, you're running a good race. You're doing a good job. But the people in the grandstands 
are yelling at you and telling you that you're doing it all the wrong way and that you should be doing this and doing that. And he says, I see you getting off of the track and running up into the grandstands and arguing with the spectators. And he says, even if you were to win that argument, you're going to lose the race. He says, you've got to stay on track, stay on track, get back in the race, forget the grandstands. And I tell you, when, when the Lord spoke that through Joe to me, that was so descriptive of where I was at that time. And when I saw this and that prophecy came, boy, that has been a word that has kept me on track for 30-something years since then. And again, I'm not sure that I do everything perfectly. I'm still green and growing, and I may be better five or ten years from now if the Lord tarries. But I'm saying that the reason I'm the way that I am is because of scriptures just like this where God has shown me that I cannot let the criticism of other people steal the word out of my heart. If I do, if I get offended, if I start getting to where I'm gun-shy to say the truth because of what people have to say, the word of God will cease performing and producing in my life. And I made a decision over 35 years ago that I wasn't going to let that happen. I mean, I've been trying to be bold and to let the Word of God rule and dominate me, not the opinions of man. And uh, it's become a lifestyle, a habit with me, and I'm this way because of Scripture. Now, I may not be doing it perfectly, but I'm moving in this direction because of my conviction from the Word of God about these things. Do you know right here in Matthew uh, chapter uh, 13, talking about this parable of the... um, a grain of mustard seed. Matthew chapter 13, verse 31. It says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is sown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. That's in the same chapter, the same context, the same day that this parable of the sower sowing the seed was given. And I remember specifically one of my very first days over in Vietnam. I was on barracks duty and the rest of the people went through what was called the CS chamber. It was a gas chamber and they were teaching us how to put on our mask and clear them. Basically, it's an equivalent of tear gas. It doesn't do any lasting damage, but boy, it hurts, it stings. And uh, it's a long story, but I had a super, super, super negative experience with that when I was in basic training. I nearly died, and I'm not overstating it. I mean, I came close to dying, I thought. So when they said that we were going to be going through this gas chamber in Vietnam and that this was part of our training, at breakfast that morning, they asked for a volunteer. And one of the things you learn quickly in the Army is don't ever volunteer for anything because, I mean, nine out of ten times... Uh, you have uh, made a mistake. But I figured it didn't matter if they sent me out there to fight Viet Cong by myself. It would be better than going through this gas chamber. That's how much I hated it. So I volunteered, and it turned out that all they wanted me to do was sit there and guard the barracks while everybody else went through the gas chamber. So it worked out great. And anyway, I was sitting there reading the Scripture, and I was reading in Matthew chapter 13, I believe around verse 31, where it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a little grain of mustard seed, one of the smallest seeds that you could possibly get. But when it is sown in the earth, it grows and becomes this huge tree so that the fowls of the air may come and lodge under the shadow of it. And I was meditating on this and thinking, God, that's what I want my life to be. I want you to live through me so big 
that it affects millions of people, that people's lives are changed. And I was envisioning this, and the Lord spoke to me and said, but your root is so small that the very first bird to land on a branch, the tree would fall over. The first breath of air, it would fall over. And the Lord, through that, painted a word picture for me. That here I was concerned about all of this growth above ground. And I know that that's the way most people are. Most of us are wanting some visible results, something that we can see. We want to start seeing lives changed or people healed or something physical and tangible. And we're wanting all of this fruit. But I'm telling you that before all of this grows above ground, the vast majority of growth takes place underground in the root system. And actually, the root system determines how big the plant or the tree above ground will be. If you neglect the root system, you might have a plant or a tree grow up for a brief period of time, but it'll never produce the fruit, it'll never live, it'll never be able to withstand the variations in heat and drought and things like that. The root system is what enables a tree to really produce and to be able to withstand hardship. And this is what the Lord was speaking to me, that I was wanting all of these great results, but I wasn't wanting to take time to get rooted. And he says, that's the big problem with most people. And I just made a decision right then. That was around 19, what would that have been, 1970. Uh, The Lord spoke that to me, and I made a decision that I was going to be one of those that took the Word of God, and it was going to take root on the inside of me. And I actually, to a very large degree, quit worrying about the visible results, knowing that if I would just take the Word of God and keep it in my heart and let that Word stay there, not come in and out of it, but dwell on the inside of me, that Word would begin to start putting roots through every part of my being. It would literally permeate me. And that was what my focus has been. Basically, since then, about 1970, I have been just focused on taking the Word of God and meditating in it, gleaning truths from it, applying my life towards those truths, and every good thing that God has done. The revelation that He's given me, the call that He's given me in ministry, the way that I've seen people raised from the dead, blind eyes open, miracles happen, the way that God has met my needs, everything in my life that has any good associated with it has come from the fact that I took the Word of God and it's taken root. And once that seed takes root, it just produces. I tell you, that is an awesome truth. This still gets me excited. I don't know about you, but I am excited about this. You know, out at the property where I live, I've got some huge boulders. I've got one that's over a hundred feet tall that I walk out and sit on sometimes. And yet at the very top of that boulder, I mean, it's a hundred feet above the ground, the surrounding ground. And yet on the top of that boulder, there's a little crack in that boulder. There's a place where the wind has blown in some leaves and things, and it's made a little bit of ground. And because of that, somehow a seed got up there on the top of this boulder, a hundred feet tall, and it has taken root, and a tree is growing out of that. And, of course, the tree has outgrown that little bit of uh, earth or sand that's up there on the top of that boulder, and now roots are going down and splitting this huge boulder. 
I'm telling you, the power that's in a seed is amazing. I've got other boulders on my property where boulders have literally been split in two by a seed. A little tiny seed like that can split a gigantic boulder. A little tiny seed from God's Word can destroy cancer or AIDS or any physical problem or financial problem or emotional problem if we would just take the Word of God and put it in our life and let it dominate us. Man, that is powerful. And that's what this principle is teaching right here. But you've got to protect it. You've got to have root in yourself. You can't go off somebody else's revelation. You know, you can't go out and tell people, well, Andrew Womack says. You know what? That's not going to convince anybody. But what you need to do is take the things that I'm saying, meditate on it, and if the Lord bears witness and says yes and gives you that revelation, then you can go out and say, God told me. Man, the Bible says in Mark chapter 4, verses 16 and 17, and tell them directly what God spoke to you. It's not enough to know what I believe that the Word of God says. It's got to become a personal revelation to you. That is profound. That is really a powerful statement right there. And it's amazing how many people don't really have the Word of God rooted on the inside of them. When the Lord first spoke this to me, And this became a revelation and God convicted me that I was living off of somebody else's revelation. I remember saying, that'll never happen again. In the name of Jesus, it's going to be my revelation. It's going to be, I may have heard somebody else say it, but I'm going to go to God and I'm going to meditate on it until this germinates and releases its life. And it's going to be what God spoke to me. And I can tell you, that there are thousands of things that I've gleaned from the Word. Maybe I heard somebody else plant the seed, but it became my revelation. It's taken root on the inside of me. So we've now come to the third type of person that heard the Word of God and how they responded to it. This is in Mark chapter 4 and in verse 18. And it says, These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the Word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Now again, I've said this before, but I believe that this parable, talking about the four different types of hearts that the word of God was planted in, I believe it's also talking about a progression. You have to start out where you don't have any desire for the word of God at all. The word just kind of is like water off a duck's back goes in one ear and out the other. That's the first person. The second person is a person who liked the Word of God, was excited about it, but they didn't have any root in themselves. And then you come to the person who has learned these truths enough that they are excited about the Word. They've meditated in the Word enough that it's beginning to take root. There is real life and vibrancy coming out of them. The Word of God is beginning to produce uh, results in their life. But... Then they get occupied with the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things. And you know, I feel like that in my life, I've come through that first and second type of uh, person who responded. The third type, I believe that I'm moving out of that into where I'm beginning to be productive. But you know what? I still deal with some of these same things. I still get occupied with things other than what God's really called me to do. And I believe that that affects a lot of us. You know, our day that we live in today, 
we have access to information and things that previous generations never had. Do you realize that most generations prior to, say, the 1950s or something like that, they were basically isolated. Uh, It took a long time for news and for information to get around, and so they really lived kind of in smaller communities, and they didn't have all of the pressures and the cares of this world on them that we do. But today we live in a world that if something happens on the other side of the world, we hear about it nearly instantaneously. And then we can turn on our television and watch live coverage of it. You can take the problems of this world into your life. Whereas previous generations, it would have taken two or three weeks or a month for us to even find out what had happened. By that time, the situation would have been over. And so it just didn't cause the same level of anxiety or worry or care about it. But you know, today we are just being inundated with things. And we are being constantly bombarded, not only with news type of things and all the problems in the world, but then we've got all of this entertainment. We've got television, movies, DVDs, games. And also it seems like that in the workplace, people are working harder than ever. And I may uh, miss some of these statistics, but based on what I remember, uh, Americans are some of the biggest workaholics on the face of the earth. I mean, it's a person who works 40 hours a week is an exception. I'd say the majority of people probably do four, more than 40 hours a week. People are just pouring themselves into this, and all of this will choke the Word of God. Now, again, I'm not saying that God wants us to all leave life and enter into a monastery so that we can just sit there and study the Word 24 hours a day. That's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying that it takes time, not just quality, but quantity time for the Word of God to take root on the inside of us. And our lifestyles today are not conducive to really the Word of God taking root in our life. You know, I'm remembering uh, a book that I read about this man named Sadhu Sundar Singh. And this man was an Indian, I mean not an American Indian, but an Indian Indian from over there in Asia. And this man was powerful, it's a long story, but he saw multiple people raised from the dead in one day. He saw great miracles. This guy had a tremendous ministry. And because of this, it was somewhere around 1910, it was in the early 1900s, this man came from India to New York City, of course on a ship, It took a month or two for him to get there uh, because of the mode of travel. And he, because of that, had a year's worth of meetings or whatever lined up in the United States. He got off of the boat in New York City, spent 30 minutes walking around the city of New York. Remember, this is in 1910. And after 30 minutes in New York City, he got back on the boat and headed back to India And he said, there's no point in me ministering to the people here in America. He says, this lifestyle will not allow the Word of God to take root in their life. And you know what he was talking about? Same thing we're talking about right here, about how the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things enter in and choke the Word. I tell you, busyness is not conducive to spirituality. Now, there's a balance between this. Again, I'm not saying being living in a monastery. There is a balance here. But I'm saying that most of us, if you'd ask the average person, if somebody comes up and says, how are you? Probably the majority of your responses are going to be something to deal with how busy you are. 
You talk about, man, I'm busier than ever. I've often said, you know, I'm busier than a one-armed paper hanger. And what you're doing is just describing that you are just busy, busy, busy. That's typical of most people. I'm telling you, busyness, according to this passage of Scripture, will stop the Word of God from working in your life and producing the fruit that it needs. You need time sitting and soaking in the Word of God for it to be able to release its power into your life. You know, you'll have a lot of people today talk about having a devotion and doing a little five-minute devotion or something in the morning when they first get up. And again, I can't say that that's totally wrong. There is some benefit to that. But I'm telling you, if you're trying to just squeeze five minutes here, ten minutes here, something like that in, and you're spending that amount of time trying to get your mind stayed on the things of God and hear the voice of God, and then the rest of the day you are just going at a frantic pace, trying to keep pace with things, you aren't going to have the Word of God produce itself in your life. It takes some downtime. The Scripture says in in, um, Psalms 46.10, Be still. And know that I am God. You have to be still. It takes some quiet time. And with me personally, I can't necessarily show you a verse, chapter and verse on this, but with me personally, if I get really involved and really busy to where I'm just going at this frantic pace, it takes a period of time for me to sit down and slow myself down and get to where I can hear God from my heart. I don't know if that's the same with you. I believe it's probably the same to some degree with everybody. But it just takes me a while, and it depends. If it's been a long time that I've been so busy and preoccupied with something that I haven't had time to just be still and know that He is God, well, then it takes me a while to penetrate and break through a barrier to where I'm listening and in the spirit realm. If I have been spending lots of time with the Lord and very sensitive, I could get busy or occupied for an hour and just nearly step immediately out of that and go right back into the spirit realm. But if it's been days or weeks that I've been preoccupied with something else, it's going to take me some time, not just quality, but quantity time to quiet myself and get still and allow the Word of God begin to work in my life. I'm telling you that a lifestyle to where you are going 90 to nothing all of the time will stop God's Word from working in your life. Even Jesus, who is so much in demand, He was ministering to people and He didn't even have time to eat, it says. People were coming to Him. He would try and separate His disciples and He says, let's go over into a desert place. You know why Jesus wanted to do that? His goal was to reach people. His goal was to touch as many people's lives as he could. And yet here he was telling his disciples after they had been out on this missionary tour, come apart and rest a while and go over into this desert place. You know why Jesus did that? It's because he realized that the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, the lust of other things will choke the Word of God. You know, you need some time to where you can separate yourself from all the busy activities of daily life and just spend some time focused on God. Now again, you don't necessarily have to have your nose in the Bible to a degree you will because you can't meditate on scriptures that you don't know. But I'm saying if you've already been reading the Bible, you might be able to just go sit on the porch for a while and just pray about what's been going on during that day and ask God to show you things and meditate on the scriptures that He's been giving you. You know, I do that a lot. What I do, I built a trail on my property and I walk 
an hour or two hours a day, and I spend that hour and two hours just meditating on the things of God and thinking about what He's leading me to do, meditating on Scriptures. We got a little swing out on our uh, patio, and I sit out there, and of course you can't see another house from my place, and I sit out there and just look at the mountains and look around, and I meditate and think on things. I tell you, that's an important time. One of the things that will stop God's Word from working in your life is just being busy. You know, if it if Satan came in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork, most of us would resist him saying, no way am I giving in to you. And likewise, if we saw X-rated, R-rated material or something that is just overtly of the devil, most of us would reject that. But you know what? There is nothing wrong with having a job, having a career, having a family, doing things. Those things in their place are right. But when we cram so much into our life that we have no time left to spend and meditate, or all we can do is spend five minutes studying the Scriptures, and that's it because we are so busy. Even though you may occupy your life with decent things, things that aren't immoral of themselves, if you cram all of that in so that you have no time to sit and meditate on the things of the Lord, it will stop the Word of God from working in your life. Now that is a powerful truth, and that's subtle. You know, in my own personal life, there's a number of things that God has dealt with me about that aren't sin, but He just told me that I can't afford to become preoccupied with these things. I don't need another hobby. I don't need anything else to do, especially with my type of personality. I'm a compulsive type of personality that everything I do, I do to an extreme. And I've had some friends try and get me into doing certain things. And you know what? They're enjoying it and loving it, and it's fine for them. It's no problem. But I just don't have the time to devote to anything else. I have to keep the main thing the main thing tell you, I wish I could somehow or another make people understand this because I really believe that this is an area that Satan is hindering personal growth and change in your life is that we just get so busy, so preoccupied that we don't take the time to spend in the Word of God, in fellowship with God, and that hinders the change that God is wanting to bring to pass. If you are going to have effective change, the Word of God produce fruit in your life, I can guarantee you, you are going to have to start spending some time, quantity time, fellowshipping with God through the Word and taking these truths and planting them in your heart. That's just the way that it works. And some people don't like that, but that's just the way that the kingdom works. These aren't necessarily the way that we would have decided that we want this done, but this is how the Lord told us how the kingdom works. And since He's the Lord then it's going to work the way that he says, not the way that you choose. And so this is something that I have to deal with all of the time. I'm constantly having to make time, force myself not to get busy with all this stuff. Now let me use this as an example. That you know what, I don't go out and do a lot of the things that other people do. I don't watch X-rated movies. I don't get into all of that kind of stuff. I don't do any of those things that the church calls quote-unquote sin. But you know what God has to deal with me over constantly in this area? Is getting so preoccupied with the ministry and the things of the ministry that I don't have any time to fellowship with God. I don't have any time to study the Word personally. I mean, the Lord has had to deal with me over that. And the point that I'm making is that if I can come preoccupied with ministry, things that are good, things about helping other people, 
If that can choke and hinder the Word of God in my life, well then what can happen in other people's lives? Just being occupied with going out in your career and your kids and all of the effort, running kids here and there and doing this. You know, again, there's a balance to all of these things. I'm not here to make a comment on our social standing and tell you what you can and can't do. But I'm saying that to some degree, I believe a lot of good people who love God and that the Word of God is important to you and you're wanting to see this fruit. You've got all of these right things going for you. And yet I believe that you've just gone to an extreme in some of these areas to where you are constantly taxiing your kids to this and to that and they're involved in everything and you're involved in everything that the church has and on and on and on. And if you aren't careful, it'll choke the Word of God and keep you from being productive. Not bad things, but just natural things. I remember when I was in Vietnam. You know, I I wasn't one of what we called the grunts, the people that were out in the field that were constantly hiking every day and engaging the enemy directly. I was on a fire support base. I did see some action out there, and there was, uh, you know, a lot of danger associated with that. But to a large degree, it was just boredom. Sitting there on this... uh, Hill and I didn't. I was a chaplain's assistant. I was assigned to the brigade headquarters, and yet I was on a battalion level. And so nobody there was directly over me. I reported back to people 45 miles away. Because of that, I'm saying that I just had a huge amount of time on my hands. And what I've began to do was just to start pouring through the Word of God as many as 15, 16 hours a day. I would study the Word. I would go on bunker guard every single day and I'd spend four hours praying and communicating with the Lord. And over 13 months of just being in the Word constantly and praying and studying the Word and doing all of these things, when I got back to the States, I was looking so forward to being with Christians again and going to church. And I was the guy with the car and so I had a taxi and I took kids and we were out until 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning going to revival meetings all over the Dallas-Fort Worth area, prayer meetings, all night long prayer meetings. I was doing all of these things and that sounds good. But you know what? After about a month of that, being back from Vietnam, I began to recognize that my spiritual sensitivity to God was diminishing that I wasn't as sensitive, my heart wasn't as focused on God, and I wasn't doing anything sinful or wrong. And you know what the Lord spoke to me? He says, this going to church every night is killing your relationship with me. (laughs) Now I know some of you aren't going to understand that, and you're going to think I'm anti-church, which is not the case. But I was going to church seven nights a week, every single night. In the Dallas-Fort Worth area, there was always some place you could go. Plus, we had prayer meetings in the morning. Plus, we had things going on during the day. I went to day meetings and literally, I was literally so involved with doing all of these things that religious things, godly things, were choking the Word of God out of my life. And one of the things that the Lord told me to do is to stay home at least two nights a week and not go out and not be with my friends and not go to a revival meeting or a convention, but to stay home and study the Word and just begin to start fellowshipping with Him. That I needed to get back into that personal flow of this relationship. It's just like when you plant a seed. Did you know that seed begins to start growing? But if a weed comes up next to it, if you had weeds all around, say for instance, a uh, stalk of corn that you were, you know, planted and that stalk is cor- coming up, 
And if the corn was growing, but if all of these weeds are around it, the soil only has so much nourishment. And if you have all of these weeds in the field, what that will do is suck these nourishments, the moisture, out of the ground, and it will keep the seed that you want to grow from really producing and bearing fruit. And this is, I believe, what happens lots of times. We just get so occupied doing other things. It doesn't have to be bad things, but we become so occupied it just saps the attention, our energy. We don't have really any time to be able to fellowship with the Lord. I bet you that there are many of you that honestly, every time you try and get into the Word of God and study and get quiet, you fall asleep because you haven't been even getting a full night's sleep. You're just so busy. We're cramming so much into our lives and it's not improving the quality of it. We've just become busy. That lifestyle needs to change. I can promise you, if you aren't seeing the change in your life that you desire, if it seems like that, man, there's just... You aren't bearing the fruit that you know God wants you to bear. I challenge you to start spending some quantity time just focused on the things of the Lord. I'm not going to put a certain amount on that because that may vary from person to person. And depending on how much time you've been spending, you know, if you were spending 30 minutes a day just with everything else out of your mind and focused on the the Lord, if you hadn't been spending any time, that would make a tremendous benefit. It just depends on a number of things. But you need to make a decision that you are going to start taking away all of these things that choke the Word of God in your life. So we now come to the last type of heart that the Word of God was sown in. Out of these four that Jesus was talking about, there was only one type of heart or soil that really produced the fruit that was intended, and that's in verse 20 of Mark chapter 4. It says, And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word of God and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. Now this is what we're all wanting. We're all wanting to be like this last type of ground to where we produce this abundant fruit and crop. But you know, really, this is, this is a point that the Lord made out of this teaching that really impacted me too. Because when I first got started in ministry, I was acutely aware that I was a hick from Texas. Uh, this voice is not uh, what you would call a voice for television and radio. It's amazing. God chooses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. I mean, if I was picking people to be on television and radio, I wouldn't have picked me. That's for sure. And so anyway, I was acutely aware of all of these liabilities that I'm a hick from Texas, this voice... The way I look, I don't have the charisma and the things that a lot of other people do. And because of this, I honestly was doubtful that God could use me. But one of the things that really encouraged me was this very parable. The Lord showed me that it was the Word, the seed, that produced the fruit. And the ground that produced the best fruit and had the best crop come in wasn't the ground that had more, it was the ground that had less. It had less thorns, less weeds, less things like that to choke the Word of God, less stones to keep the Word from getting grounded, etc. So the real productive soil wasn't soil that had more than everything else. It was the soil that had less. And what that meant to me was that you don't necessarily need all of these talents and all of these external things that people put the emphasis on. It really is a matter of the heart. And if I would get rid of the thorns 
and all of the things that occupy my attention and devote myself completely to God and put the Word of God first place in my life, that the Word would produce an abundant harvest in my life. Man, I like that. And I tell you, that was such an encouragement to me because I said, God, if it's, you know, if what really makes the Word of God become really fruitful is being less, well, then I can certainly be less. I may not be able to be more, but I can certainly be less. I can get rid of these things that hinder me. You know, some of you may not feel like you're the sharpest knife in the drawer. You may feel like you've got all kinds of liabilities that other people don't have. And yet, if you would commit yourself to the Word of God, and I mean meditate in it until God's Word takes deep root, and you don't allow anything else to divert your attention and to sap strength from your heart that could be going towards the Lord. If you devote yourself completely to the Lord and to His Word, I can guarantee you God's Word will make you a success. It will cause fruit to come in whatever area God has called you and anointed you to minister. I believe that with all of my heart. And that is such an encouragement to me. Let me read this same passage of Scripture. This is about the fourth type of ground. And let me read it out of Luke's account of this same thing. In Luke chapter 8 and in verse 15, it says, But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. Now this is the only one of the writer's accounts that brings in this fact of patience. But if you'd stop and think about it, this is what the whole parable has been about. It's been about like a seed being planted and then reaping a harvest. And every person who's ever dealt with seeds knows that you have to just give that seed time to work. Time is actually an asset. It's a benefit to a farmer. It's not a negative, but it's a positive. You know, I I still don't understand this. We'll be covering this even some more. But when you put a seed in the ground, you don't know how that seed grows. You don't know what's happening. But over time, if you will leave the seed in the ground and if you will keep it watered and keep all of the weeds out that would come and try and steal that nourishment, God has just made it so that over time that seed germinates, those roots are produced, and then the crop comes up and the fruit Uh, comes to perfection. Time is actually a benefit. And instead of looking at time in a negative way, you need to look at it as a friend. You know, I know that just... uh, I've had one of my Bible college students one time, I remember I was talking along these lines, how it takes time and that there's a growth process. And I remember him getting mad and saying, I don't have 10 years to mature. God's told me I'm supposed to lead a million people to the Lord. Jesus is coming back soon. And so despite all of the scriptures that talk about not putting a novice in a position of authority, all of the scriptures that talk about growth and etc., etc., this guy just determined he was going to violate all of that and he was going to get it done on his own. He actually quit school and he was going to change the world in a short period of time. Did you know it hasn't come to pass yet? He, he saw time as a negative that I can't afford to wait. But now, you know, that I've been in the ministry for like 37 years And I look at time as an asset. I have been sowing the Word of God in my life for decades. And I have been meditating on these things. And because of the time that I've invested in the kingdom of God decades ago, did you know I'm still reaping from that today? 
The seed, once it's sown in the ground, I guarantee you, if you were to sow, like in your yard, a dandelion seed, now most of you don't have to go sow one. You seem to have them just naturally grow there. But if you were to sow a dandelion seed in your yard, I guarantee you, over time, that dandelion would reproduce itself and it would just completely fill that yard. That's the way that seeds work. Seeds grow and multiply. And over time, time is actually a friend to a seed because it allows multiple seeds to come up and be produced, etc. You need to get to looking at this. Instead of thinking about, man, you're saying I've got to grow and mature and spend time letting the Word take root on the inside of me. Instead of looking at that as a negative, instead look at it as every second you spend meditating in the Word of God and planting those seeds in your heart. You are starting in motion a process that cannot be stopped. I guarantee you if a flood comes, if a fire comes, I was reading something just recently about it's been 20 years, 20-something years since Mount St. Helens exploded and all of this devastation. The uh, scientists were predicting that it was going to take hundreds of years for that area to reforest itself, for the animals to come back and the flowers to come back, etc. And they are just shocked that in 20 years, things are so regenerated, it's far beyond everybody's expectations. They did not understand the power that's in those seeds. You know, there was so much heat, there was this um, mudslide and all of these things, and yet those seeds are doing what God created them to do. And man, they started producing. By, By the very next year, there was already signs of regeneration beginning to start happening. And you know what? It's the same thing. God has put seeds in His Word. And if we will take these seeds and plant them in our heart and just leave them there, keep the Word of God fresh and alive on the inside of you, I guarantee you it'll be benefiting you 20, 30, 40, 50 years from now if the Lord was to tarry. Man, I love that. See, once you understand this principle, how the kingdom works... You just take the Word of God and you sow it in your life and you keep it there. And instead of being discouraged by the fact that it takes time, be encouraged. Because once you get this system going and once you've invested that time, you will have the Word of God just supernaturally change you. You'll be changed effortlessly by the Word of God. It'll just spring and grow up in your life and you'll be transformed. So now we've come to this parable. This is going to be the very end of this teaching out of Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus was teaching. This is the same day that He taught that parable of the sower sowing the seed. He actually taught ten parables in one day. This is the most detail about any one day in the life of Jesus that the Bible affords us. And in that same day that He taught this parable of the sower sowing the seed, it says in Mark 4, 26... And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now, this is just a real simple passage of Scripture, but I tell you, this is profound. There's a lot of things in here, and I'm going to have to go through these quickly, so I encourage you to take this and meditate on it on your own, because this has got powerful stuff in it that could just change your life. 
First of all, it says the kingdom of God is if a man should cast seed into the ground. This is the same principle I've been making for the last two weeks, talking about the word of God is like a seed. And then in verse 27, this really blessed me. It says that he should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up. He knoweth not how. Now that really blessed me because, you know, just in the same way that you plant a seed in the ground and you don't understand really what's happening, mankind with all of their knowledge, we've put people on the moon, we've sent spacecraft to other, uh, you know, uh, planets and um, asteroids, different things like this. All of the things that man has accomplished, all of our cumulative knowledge, did you know you can make something that looks like a seed It could be the same size, the same color. It could have the same chemicals in it. It could have the same everything. It could fool people. But I I promise you, if you take a man-made seed and plant it in the ground, it will not germinate. It will not reproduce itself. There isn't any life in it. Mankind, what I'm trying to say, with all of our knowledge, has not been able to figure out why a seed does what it does. It's just because God created it that way. But even though we don't understand this and don't know, did you know that doesn't keep us from taking seeds and planting them in the ground? And we've learned a few things about how long it takes for that seed to germinate and produce a harvest. We've learned about, uh, you know, what weeds to keep out. We've learned about how much water it needs, what kind of temperature it needs. We've learned enough about a seed that we can kind of cooperate with it, but we don't understand it. And yet it works. And I mean, every one of us benefit from all of the seeds that are sown worldwide for all the bread, all of the things that we eat, the fruit, all of this kind of stuff. We don't understand it, and yet we still benefit from it. And this to me is a tremendous comfort that, you know, I don't have to understand all of these things, how the Word works. I don't understand really why just locking myself up with the Lord and studying the Word, and having God speak to me. I don't know why that does to me what it does. I can't totally explain it. But you know what? That doesn't keep me from taking, uh, receiving the benefit of it and reaping the benefit from that. I'm telling you, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be the sharpest person around. You don't have to understand everything to get God's Word working in your life. If you would just take my word for it, and start sowing God's Word in your life and start meditating on it day and night, the Word of God would just germinate. It would spring and grow up of itself. God put life in those seeds. Man can't figure it out, but God has spoken life into those physical seeds. He's spoken life into His Word. Matter of fact, the Scripture says in Proverbs chapter 4, I believe it's around verse 20, 21, It says God's Word is health unto all of our flesh and life unto those that find them. God's Word is life. It contains His life in it. And if we would take His words and put them on the inside of us, then God's kind of life just begins to start flowing through you. You would find out that healing and prosperity and joy and peace and all of these kind of things are contained in God's Word. I know that some of you find it hard to believe this. You just look at the Bible as being another book, but it's not. It's different than any other book. It's alive. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, that God's Word is quick. It means alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's Word is alive. It's different than reading any other book. 
even books about the Word of God. The Word of God is different. There's life in it. And if you take it, it just gives life where there's been death. It gives light where there is darkness. It's that simple. I don't know why. If this was true, which it is true, I don't know why people don't spend more time studying the Word of God. I don't know why we spend so much time occupied with all these other things. The only way I can understand that is that we really don't believe it. We really don't believe the power and the authority that's in God's Word. If you understood what I'm saying, I guarantee you the most important thing you'll ever do is just take God's Word and begin to start planning it in your life. God has created His Word just like a physical seed that it just brings forth fruit of itself. And the Word doesn't work until it's sown in your heart, just like a seed doesn't work until it's sown in the ground. They've taken seed from the... uh, pyramids that have been there for 4,000 years and they've been lying there dormant, had never sprouted. Nothing has happened to those seeds because it wasn't in the ground. But they've taken these 4,000-year-old seeds, planted them in the ground, and when you put them in the ground with the right temperature and the right nutrients, the right water, all of a sudden these seeds that had life in them for 4,000 years and have been lying there dormant, all of a sudden begin to start sprouting and producing plants. Man, that's a miracle. And that is nothing compared to the miracle of God's Word that has been recorded for thousands of years. If you would take it and sow it in your heart, it will begin to produce. But the seed has to be in the ground. The Word has to be in your heart for it to begin to start releasing that life. You can't just read it with your eyes and take a little truth in your brain. You've got to put it down deep on the inside of you. You've got to meditate on it until it literally takes root on the inside of you. And when you do that, it just supernaturally produces. And this is an awesome uh, parable right here. He's saying that the kingdom of God is like a man who takes a seed, puts it in the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, which implies time. You know, if you put a seed in the ground and then you go out and dig it up every day to see if anything's happening, did you know you'll kill that seed? That seed has to be left in the ground for a period of time. And there has to be faith. They may not use that terminology, but the person who plants the seed has to believe that that seed is producing, that it is germinating, that roots are being put down. So you have to just by faith leave that thing there and over a period of time it produces This is the same thing with the Word of God. You can't just take a promise and say, well, all right, this says by His stripes I'm healed. I claim it in the name of Jesus. And if you aren't healed in the next 10 minutes, then you dig that seed up and say, well, nothing's happening. So then the next day you go back and you try confessing it again. But you aren't abiding in it and letting the Word abide in you. You've got to get to a place where the Word is just part of you. It's not something that you study for a few minutes, and then go out and live your whole day contrary to it. You know, some people get the impression that I'm against prayer and devotions and things like this because I'm always saying these kind of things. But if all you're doing is spending 10 minutes or 20 minutes and you're in a devotion mode, and at that time you're being sweet and kind and the Word of God is speaking to you, but then as soon as your devotion is over, you go back to being a piranha during the day and you just are... I mean, you're vicious in your business dealings. You're mean and you're angry to everybody. You know what? You dug that word up. That word's not working on the inside of you. It's not staying on the inside of you. And because of it, 
you aren't going to see it produce. It takes more than that. You've got to take those truths about loving people and turning the other cheek and thinking more highly of other people than you think of yourself. And you can't just think about that during a devotion time. That has to be something that all of a sudden now, this is going to change the way you act that day. And you have to leave that seed that word that's been planted in your heart there. And every time you come up against somebody who rubs you the wrong way, you need to act on that and let that word continually to affect you. You have to abide in the word and the word abide in you for it to release its full impact in your life. And yet many people are trying church, trying prayer lines, trying everything else except taking God's word and meditating in it, and they're wondering why they aren't getting the right results. I'm just telling you, this is so simple, you have to have somebody to help you to misunderstand it. You take the Word of God, put it in your heart, leave it there, meditate on it, and it just produces. It is that simple. Boy, that is awesome. So he goes on to say in verse 28, that the earth brings forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Here's another really powerful truth from this parable, and that is that it takes time for the Word of God to work, and when it starts working, you don't get the full-blown manifestation at first. There is first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. In other words, there's growth. Just like when you plant a seed in the ground, it just doesn't you know, stay there for a week or a month, and then boom, instantly you get a full-grown tree or something like that. No, there is a growth period of time. You see, first of all, just a little tiny shoot sticking up. And then it begins to grow and it begins to develop. See, we recognize in the physical realm that this is the way it works. But in the spiritual realm, I meet people all of the time who come to me. They have spent virtually no time getting established in the Word of God. They hear me talking about how that the Word works, how I've seen God set me free and people raised from the dead or whatever... And they hear these great testimonies. They say, well, what scriptures promise that? I give them a seed. They plant it. And if they don't have the same results that I've got by this time tomorrow, then they say, I don't believe that works. The word doesn't work. I did exactly what you did and it didn't work for me. You know what you need to recognize is I've been walking with the Lord now for over 40 years. It's been 37 years since I had this encounter with the Lord and God called me and things begin to really work. And I mean, I have spent some time meditating and seeking the Lord. And I guarantee you, for me, I didn't start off seeing some of the results that I'm getting today. Did you know today we need about a million dollars a month just to keep our bills paid and to keep things going? I didn't start at that level. I guarantee you, I remember the very first time that Jamie and I ever prayed together and agreed for a certain amount of money. We agreed and prayed for $250 a month. That would pay our rent. That would pay all of our utilities. That would allow us to give $75 a month. That was our total needs. When I moved to Manitou Springs here in Colorado Springs area and we started our ministry here and I actually started traveling, I remember that Jamie and I agreed for $3,000 a month. That would pay all of my employees, pay our rent, pay our tape bills, do everything, $3,000 a month. There was a growth process. And sometimes I'm talking about a million dollars a month or whatever, and people think, well, I'm going to take those scriptures and you try it. And if it doesn't work by this time next week, then you're saying, well, that health, wealth, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it stuff doesn't work, and you become critical. And what you don't understand is that there's a growth process. 
There's been a growth process in my life. There's going to be a growth process in your life. Some of you don't like that because you just want to jump. You want to skip all the intermediate steps and go from where you are into total, full maturity. You can want it all you want. You can pray. You can beg God. You can get a thousand people to agree with you, and it doesn't matter. You can't circumvent the process. I'm telling you, there is first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. That's the way that the kingdom of God works. There are no shortcuts. Now, I believe that the degree that you put yourself into seeking God, you might be able to speed up the process a little bit, but there's still going to be these steps, these stages. There's still going to be growth. You can speed it up to a degree, but you can't stop this process. You aren't going to go from having never seen the Word of God work in your life to seeing a hundredfold return. There is first the blade, then the ear, and then the full corn in the ear. Now, we've been talking from Mark chapter 4 about the parable of the sower sowing the seed, and then we talked about the parable in Mark chapter 4, verses 26. And after Jesus had taught all of these things, down in Mark chapter 4, and in verse 30, um, 35, it says, And the same day... Now, before I go on and read the rest of this, let me just emphasize what that means. The same day. The same day as what? If you were to actually study this, you know, I've got this Life for Today study Bible that I've been using. This is something that the Lord led me to do. And what I did was produce all four of the Gospels. I harmonized the accounts so that on one page you would be able to see Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of this same instance. And if you were to study through the Gospels chronologically, you would find out that on this day that he's talking about, Jesus taught ten parables. The parable of the sower sowing the seed, the parable of this uh, kingdom of God being like a seed, like a grain of mustard seed, the tares among the wheat, all of these things. There was a total of ten parables, and every one of them was about the importance of God's Word and how God's Word works. Now, that's significant. You need to remember that this is the same day that these disciples had listened to Jesus teach ten parables give the interpretation to two of the parables. So actually, if you count the interpretations, there was a total of 12 parables there that he taught. And that same day when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when he had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and said unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now again, all of this instance right here happened the same day that he had been teaching them about the Word of God is like a seed. And you sow this seed. And the seed has life in it. You don't need to go somewhere else. If you want a tree in your yard, you don't have to go get a tree. You go get a seed and you plant that seed and that seed turns into a tree. The seed has life in itself. And he had been teaching this from a number of different ways. And then that same day, he said in verse 35, Let us pass over unto the other side. 
You know what Jesus was doing? Jesus was the Word made flesh and dwelt among us, is what it says in John chapter 1. Jesus was the incarnate Word of God. He had just been talking about the power of the Word. And what He did, He gave them a seed. He gave them a Word. He said, let's pass over unto the other side. He didn't tell the disciples, let's get into the boat, go halfway and drown. Let's get in there and and let get overwhelmed by this storm. We're never going to make it to the other side. He gave them a Word. This is the creator of that sea of Galilee. He's the one that created the heavens and the earth and everything that was coming against them. And the one who was the creator said, let's get into the boat and go to the other side. He gave them a seed. He gave them a word. And then, you know what he did? He went into the hinder part of the ship and he went to sleep. And while he was asleep, a great wind came up and a great storm came up. And it says that the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. Now you've got to remember that in this day, back in those days, this wasn't a huge ocean liner. It wasn't a cabin cruiser that had you know, uh, berths below deck that were dry and kept warm and things like this. This was a little open boat. As a matter of fact, I've been out on the Sea of Galilee on one of these tourist things that they entitled the Jesus Boat. Amen. And I know it's not the exact boat that Jesus used, but they say that it's a replica of the fishing boats that they used during those times. And we had about 30 people on the boat or something like that, but it was all open. There was nothing below deck. I can promise you that if Jesus was in the back end of this boat asleep on a pillow, and if the boat was now full of water, that means that Jesus was sloshing around in the water. He was aware of what was going on. But instead of getting up and taking care of the situation, Jesus just stayed asleep. Now that is amazing. And look at how the disciples responded to this. In verse 38, it says, He was in the inner part of the ship, asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him, saying unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? I tell you, this is so typical, not only of these disciples, but of people today. You come into a problem. The doctor tells you you're going to die. The banker says that you're going to have something repossessed. Your wife, husband tells you that you're going to, they're going to divorce you. The, uh, somebody tells you something bad news and all of a sudden depression starts. All of these storms, all of these things start coming and we go to the Lord and say, God, I thought you loved me. How come you aren't doing anything? God, don't you care about me? Don't you care that I perish? And we basically put it off on God as if it's His fault. God's not the one that sent this storm. You know, I could spend a long time on this because there is some confusion in this area. Religion has taught us that God controls everything. And even if you've got sickness or poverty or divorce or whatever, God's the one that caused that to do something. That's not true. God didn't cause this storm right here. The Lord doesn't control everything. Now, He has the power to control it, and Jesus exercised that power, and He rebuked the wind and spoke unto the sea, and it was calm. And the Lord has the power, but not every problem that comes in your life is God-ordained. God didn't make these problems. And so for us to go and say, God, why did you let this happen? In the first place, you're, in, you're imputing iniquity unto the Lord, error unto the Lord. And you need to stop that. That's wrong in the very first place. God's a good God. 
God is not the source of your problems. You don't need to go to God and start blaming Him like, God, how come you haven't healed me? How come you let this person die? God is never, ever, ever your problem. And But these disciples started saying, Lord, wake up. Don't you care that we perish? Get a bucket, bail, do something. Row, help us. You aren't pulling your weight. If it wasn't for us, we'd have already been sunk. You haven't done anything. Very similar to what people are saying to the Lord today about why haven't you healed me? I've prayed, I've done this, and you haven't done your part. Lord, you don't care about me. But you know what? Jesus had done His part. Jesus gave them the Word. And then it's up to them to take that Word and release the life that's in it through faith and through speaking it out. But see, they didn't do that. And it's the same thing with people today. People are praying and asking God to heal them. Oh Lord, what's wrong? Don't you love me? Haven't you heard what the doctor said? Please heal me. We're going to the Lord as a beggar instead of a son that has already received his inheritance. And instead of claiming what is rightfully ours, we're begging for what we think God can do, but he hasn't done. We think it's God's responsibility. It's God's turn to fix this problem. When the truth is, before you ever had the problem... God had a seed for your problem. He's given words that have that life in it and all you have to do is go and take that word and stand on it and begin to release the life that is in that seed in the word of God. Boy, that's powerful. I don't know if you can get this or not, but I really believe that this kind of typifies or gives a picture of where the body of Christ is today. The body of Christ as a whole is crying and saying, Lord, you don't care about me. Why haven't you done this? Please touch me, begging and pleading, doubting the goodness of God, moaning and groaning, griping and complaining. But look at what Jesus did when they woke him up. He got up, he arose, he rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And then in verse 40, Mark 4:40, it says, He said unto them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Jesus didn't get up and say, Guys, I'm sorry. I was tired and I was just trying to get a few little winks here, you know, and trying to get recovered. It's my fault. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I got you into this. I'm sorry that I didn't get up and take care of this. He didn't placate them. He didn't sit there and approve of their panic and of their griping and complaining. Instead, he says, Why are you so fearful? And I can guarantee you, I believe that he was angry, not at them as individuals, but angry at their carnality, angry at their unbelief. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you don't have any faith? By his words, you can see that he didn't approve of their powerlessness. In other words, it would be unjust of Jesus to be critical of these disciples if there was nothing that they could have done. If it was just a matter of them, you know, waking up Jesus and Jesus solving the situation, well, then Jesus should have been apologetic about, guys, I'm sorry that I wasn't there for you. I'm sorry I wasn't awake already or something like that. But that's not the response that he had. Instead, he basically rebuked them. Why are you operating in fear? Well, most people would say, well, we're about to drown. Why shouldn't we be operating in fear? If you understood what he had been teaching them all day long, ten parables about the life, power is in the seed. If you understood that, and then he gave them a seed, he gave them a promise, let's go to the other side. 
If they would have had any understanding at all, they could have taken the teaching that he gave. They could have taken that. They could have stood on it, taken their authority. They could have commanded the boat to go to the other side. They could have commanded the wind and the waves to stop. You know what? Jesus was not approving of their ineffectiveness. He rebuked them and said, Guys, you ought to be doing better than this. And I'm saying, brothers and sisters, we ought to be doing better than this. The body of Christ is going to God and crying and asking for help, wondering why He isn't releasing His power. God, what's wrong with you? And so what we want to do is organize another 100,000 people to force God, to just twist His arm a little bit more and put more pressure on God until we make God send revival, until we make God heal this person and all of these kind of things. I tell you, that's an offense to God. To go and say, oh God, please pour out your spirit. Oh God, have mercy on the United States. Don't judge us. That's an offense against God because he's already had mercy, not only on the United States, but on the entire world. And he put that judgment upon his son and he's paid for it. And the only reason we don't have red hot revival flowing in the land isn't because God hasn't poured out his spirit. It's because his people aren't doing what he told them to do. They're asking God to do what he told us to do. He told us to go preach the gospel. He told us to heal the sick. He told us to do these things. He's given us these words. The life is in the seed and we aren't planting the seed. We don't want to plant a seed. That's work. I tell you, it's not God who's asleep. It's the body of Christ. We aren't doing what He told us to do. We're asking Him to do it and it's not going to work that way. I'm telling you, if you want to see the power of God, if you want to see change manifest in your life, This is how you do it. God has spoken His Word. He has released His power by His words. Every word that comes from God is a faith-filled word. It has the power in it to change everything. When the Lord comes back at the end times in the book of Revelation, it says that there's going to be a sharp two-edged sword come out of His mouth. And through that sword, the nations will be destroyed. And you know how that's going to happen? By this sword that comes out of His mouth. I don't believe that's describing a physical sword, but it's just like Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. What this is saying is that God's going to speak words out of His mouth and those words will have so much life in it. The greatest power display of power in the history of the universe is the Word of God. And He's given it to us. He's going to destroy and set everything straight by His Word. We have the Word right now. I'm telling you, you don't need a tree to just plop out of the sky. What you need to do is take the seed that God's already given us and plant it, give it some time, and you can get any tree that you want. You don't need a miracle to just fall out of the sky. What you need to do is take the Word of God and plant that seed in your heart and let it grow, and you can let that miracle come right up out of the midst of you. I tell you, this is awesome. I've preached myself happy. I don't know if I've helped you, but this has helped me.